Today's scripture comes from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 2 through 4. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. This is the word of the Lord. The reason I asked uh, to be read the passage about God as, or Jesus as the good shepherd, um, is because that's, that's life, is that God does guide us very carefully. And I've always been um, amazed at the, the depth of sophistication that God uses to guide each of our lives. I think a lot of us would like to think that our lives um, have a lot to do with the decisions that we make. But uh, if you have a few experiences in life and you live a little bit, you realize that um, God does a whole lot more in spite of our decisions, and we end up basically where he wants us to be. And I find a great comfort in that because it's always uh, to bless us. And uh, when, I, I, when I lived in Connecticut, it wasn't for a good reason, it was for a bad reason. Uh, my wife had left me and uh, took my, our boys, and, um, and so I resigned from the church I was pastoring there, and I thought I was uh, done for in the ministry. Uh, that's the end of that. And, um, and I didn't really feel God helping me. Um, it was in the midst of a recession. It was just before 2010, right at 2010. And, you know, the economy wasn't real good. In fact, it was really bad. And um, I was just stuck. And I really had, didn't have anything to do. And I had a, a, a friend that I'd led to the Lord. And he said, Greg, come live with me in Connecticut. And I says, well, okay, <laughs> I'll come live with you. And my wife, she had moved uh, to Maine uh, where, where she had hooked up with somebody else. And uh, so I said, well, at least I'll be somewhat close to Maine so I could see my boys. So that's basically why I moved to Connecticut. He lived in a little town called Guilford, Connecticut. It's a beautiful little town uh, right on the ocean, uh, not too far from New Haven. And um, I started uh, to make my little life there. And it was, it was pretty miserable. And uh, nothing really went well. I um, had a hard time getting a job. I started a, a website, a little community website to try to make some money. And, and that started to go okay. Um, then I had a, another friend who, that I had met there. And he said, you know, um, why don't you uh, come work with me? I'm at, you know, this Edward Jones Financial Planning. I think you'd be good for that. And I said, okay, that, that sounds better than what I got going. And so uh, I went through their whole process. And... I came down between me and some other employee that they were going to give a spot to, and then they gave it to me. And so I was like, woo, okay, you know, I got the job. I see my new life ahead of me. And um, I got a call the next day saying, oh, we're going to retract the offer. And I go, well, why are you going to retract the offer? She said, well, we called your reference. And your reference said that if they wanted to rehire you, they couldn't for legal reasons. And I'm like, geez, that's horrible, you know? What do you mean legal reasons? They said, well, we can't talk about it. And um, I was back to square one. And I, I realized that somebody at the church I was at before had, had said something that wasn't true about me. And boy, let me tell you what, when that happens and it costs you a livelihood, you know, that's hard. That really gets at you. And my thing was, okay, God, I guess you're out of the picture now. <laughs> I guess you're not here on my side now. I, now I know what it's like. Everybody else saying they don't know who God is. And uh, when long after that, I was helping a guy and uh, another friend that I made there he clean out his yard. And I, I scraped my leg just hard, like maybe an inch with a little twig. 
and the dumb leg got infected. And I didn't have any health insurance. I didn't have anything going on, and the leg swelled right up. Well, I have another friend. He's a doctor, and I sent him a picture of my leg, and he says, great, you got to go get some antibiotic. And I said, I can't afford, you know, go see a doctor. I said, I'm just going to let it run its course. You know, I, I'm okay. He says, no. He says, we amputate amputate legs like that. Uh, you better go get an antibiotic before it's too late. Oh, great. So I was at the grocery store, um, they were having a, a sale on trying to get people to buy prescriptions there, and they had a list of drugs that you could get for free there. So I made a list of the antibiotics that they had, and then I went and found a clinic, and uh, I said, look, I don't have any money, and I don't need to see a doctor. All I need is a prescription for this. And the guy said, okay, yeah, we understand. You know, there's a lot of people like that. No problem. So they gave me the prescription. I went and got it. And here I am, like, on top of the world again, up and down, up and down, up and down. And, um, okay, I'm going to be okay. And so um, I took the prescription. And sure enough, my leg went right down. And then the next week, I got a bill from that stupid little clinic for 2500 bucks. Wiped me out. I said, you've got to be kidding. And I said, okay, God, I guess, <laughs> I guess for a moment there you appear, now you run away. That's just how you're going to be, huh? And it wasn't very much longer after that, like just a matter of days, would you believe it? I got a bee sting? I'm not allergic to bees. I don't know what the deal is. I've had lots of bee stings. But this time my stupid arm swelled right up. And it got infected. I could, you've got to be kidding. And um, i like, you just, what on earth is going on? Anyway, so in the midst of this, um, I got a call from a guy who was looking for a pastor for this church out here in San Jose. And he really wasn't calling me. He was calling me to get a reference for a youth pastor I used to have in Los Angeles. And uh, he was trying to see if he was a good person to hire. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, he's really great. And he said, oh, by the way, what are you doing? I didn't really know the guy. I said, well, this is my situation. You know, I'm pretty much unhirable in churches. And, you know, this is what I said. Well, tell me about churches you've pastors. I told him. He says, you know, I have the perfect church for you. And I said, wow, that's, that's, I didn't know there was a perfect church, but this sounds really good, you know? And, um, well, it turns out that they did. They hired me and I moved out to, um, uh, to out here to San Jose. And on my first Sunday, I met my wife. And I said, you've got to be kidding. I didn't know she was going to be my wife. But, I mean, I had a clue, right? Because the first time she met me, she asked me to marry her. You can't blame her. She's only human. It's okay. Um, I understand. She wasn't thinking I was going to marry her. She was asking me if I'd marry her and her fiancé. But technically, she did ask me if I would marry her, right? That well, is exactly what happened, technically. So anyways, um, it wasn't very long after that that uh, she went to marriage counseling, not with me, and found out that she wasn't a good match with the guy she wanted to marry. And so that freed her up. And so that was the beginning of my Starbucks trips. And that turned into a wedding about a year later. And all of a sudden, my life starts uh, to look pretty good again. And um, in, in this thing, I've noticed that as we go with the Lord, you would think that God would lead you to good places, right? But even in Psalm 23, we start off in a good place, right? We start off there in the green pastures, and then you go by the quiet waters, but then you go into the dark valley, and then you end up in the middle of all your enemies, which is not a good place to be. And so that's just part of the journey. And I was, I was disappointed in my little episode there, those years that I uh, was out of a job and not in the ministry and thought I was lost. 
I was disappointed because I said, look at where the Lord brought me. Why was I so upset? Why did I doubt the Lord so much when I was in the midst of all those times, all those bad times? And I said, you know, next time I go through something like this, I'm not going to throw a fit. I'm not going to doubt God's goodness in my life. I'm just going to assume that this is how it has to be. And you know, that's been a really good decision. I've been certainly tempted to think, as smaller things happen in my life, to think that God has uh, abandoned me, but I'm very quick to say, oh no, he hasn't. This is just part of the journey. He's still with me. He's taken me to where he wants me to be. Um, I, when I lived in Maine, one time I had these people come and they were helping build a church for a um, and for another guy, and so I volunteered to help them out. and And they wanted to go visit a Shaker village. A Shaker village is where this old religion part was, and Quakers, but worse than Quakers, kind of a thing. And um, but I'm going to take you guys out to see the uh, the Shaker village. They like furniture and what have you. So um, in Maine, I don't know if has anybody been to Maine. You guys are all so bright here. I tell you, there's no dumb people in Silicon Valley. And uh, so I'm dumb. That's why I was there. And everything's big trees, big trees, everything. And uh, no signs, street signs or anything. And I was taking these people to the Shaker Village, and I got completely lost. And you don't see anything except trees. And every once there's a cross street, but just trees, trees everywhere. So when you get lost in Maine, you're really lost. So the only thing you can do is to approach the system like a grid. So you just drive five miles and then you just turn wherever and then you drive five more miles and turn wherever and you just try to cross as many of those, that grid as you can and someday you'll find something. And sure enough, that's what happened. I found the Shaker Village and, and I was so embarrassed. These people had asked me to bring them to this place and I had no clue where I was. It was like an hour and a half later. And I was about to apologize to them when they got out of the car smiling, thanking me for bringing them because if they had had to find it, they never would have found it. They said, you are awesome. All those turns we took, no street signs, how you got, how you found this place, it's, in, it's incredible. I mean, I really admire you. And I'm like, well, you know, you've been around like I have, you know, that kind of thing. And, but that, that is me. Um, when, when I guide people anywhere, I have horrible directions. Um, I wouldn't say God has horrible directions, but he does scare you to death. <laughs> you just go places, you have no clue why you're there, what's going on. Regardless, God is guiding. And it's important to remember that God is always guiding. God is always taking us. Yeah, some of the places we go through are, are miserable and horrible places, but by and large, it's, it's part of the journey. It's where we're going. Looking back, even this side of heaven, you can pretty much say, yeah, I see why that had to happen. I see what was involved in that. Not, not 100%, right? But you, you, you get the idea that, okay, it's, it's all part of the journey. I get that. It's necessary. Well, when I lived in Maine, I came across uh, this guy. His name was Drinkwater. His name was, um, you know, it was, uh, uh, was uh, Glenn, Glenn Drinkwater. His dad was Ed Drinkwater. And I thought, what a strange name, Drinkwater, right? Could have been Drink Coke or something, right? No, Drinkwater, which is good, right? Positive. So um, he told me about his dad. And the story about his dad was his dad lived in Rockland, Maine. 
If you ever go to Maine and you're going to stay in a nice place, you're going to stay probably somewhere in the area of Rockland. It's absolutely beautiful. It's up, um, kind of up the coast there. Um, but just like a lot of really nice places, right next to it, some really cruddy places. And that's kind of the Rockland where uh, Ed Drinkwater was from. And Ed Drinkwater was an alcoholic, um, a drug user, and pretty much just had lost his life lost his family, lost everything. And um, one night he uh, was coming home from a bar on a Saturday night and he didn't make it all the way home or where he was staying. And he kind of uh, fell over on the sidewalk and slept the whole night. Well, the next morning he woke up, somebody was standing over him and says, hey, why don't you come inside? Uh, we got some donuts and coffee for you. And he thought, well, okay, you know, donuts and coffee, that's not a bad way to wake up. And so he went into the building and they gave him donuts and coffee. He was very happy here. Then they invited him to stay because they're going to have church. And he says, oh, no, I don't go to church. And he says, well, you're already in a church, so you don't have to go. You know, you just stay. He says, oh. <laughs> See, he didn't know because nowadays we know if there's coffee and donuts, you're in a church. And uh, so there he was. And um, they treated him super well, invited him to come back. And uh, he did. He said, these are really nice people. He says, good. Nobody else likes me. So he went back and he kept going back. And it wasn't very long before he gave his heart to the Lord. And then the Lord convicted him um, and helped him get over the alcohol, get over the drugs. And next thing you know, he gets his family back. He gets his job back. He was a boiler repairman. Anybody know what a boiler is? <laughs> On the East Coast, there's lots of boilers. They're very useful kind of things. You can generate electricity from them, you can generate steam from them, all kinds of good things, but pretty versatile. Anyways, that's what he did, a lot of boilers on the East Coast and around the world. And um, he, everything's going really well again. When they had a missionary service where somebody, a member of the church, you know, studies up on some country where they're trying to help people out. And, and this uh, missionary service was on a little teeny dot of a country called Swaziland. It's completely surrounded by South Africa. It's a little kingdom, uh, pretty miserable. Anyway, she was telling about the history of the church there and what have you. And, and uh, Ed Drinkwater said, um, you know, it was the strangest thing. I felt God told me that he wanted me to go to Swaziland. And so after the service, he went up and told the pastor. He says, you know, while that lady was talking about that country, he says, I felt the Lord tell me to go to Swaziland. And the pastor said, oh, Ed, you know. You know, we, we have these every month. And so I don't know what the next country is going to be, but you're probably going to want to go there too, you know. And someday maybe you will go to visit what have you. He says, no, no, I felt the Lord wanted me to go and uh, be a missionary in Swaziland. And the pastor explained, well, Ed, that's probably not what the Lord asked you to do because to be a missionary, you have to have a seminary degree and you don't have a college degree and you don't even have a high school degree. So you're pretty far from that happening, but it's, it's good to pray for missions. And so Ed Drinkwater says, okay, what do I got to do to be a missionary? And so he realized, well, I got to go get my GED. Took him a couple years, but he got his GED. Then he tells the pastor, you know, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go to college in Quincy, Massachusetts. So uh, pastor says, okay, Ed, um, I don't know how you're going to do this. You're a little bit old to go be going to college, but okay, you know, you make your own decisions. And so Ed went to college with his family. Six years later, he graduated from college. And um, now he is really excited to be a missionary in Swaziland, although he hasn't been to seminary yet. Um, he uh, is asking everybody, hey, how do I become a missionary in Swaziland? Everybody's telling the same thing. Well, you can't. It's just not going to happen. 
And so he, after graduation, he went to his college president and asked him, says, hey, do you know anybody that can get me to Swaziland to be a missionary? And the president of the university says, Ed, you know, we really appreciate you. You're an inspiration to everybody here. Um, you know, you, you talk about Swaziland, we all get it, but that's probably not what's, you know, in the cards for you. Probably what you're going to do is probably be a missionary anywhere you are, you know, bloom where you're planted. And, and that was really discouraging to Ed, and he didn't know what to do, and he kind of went away. Well, as it turns out, the president of the university was on a missions board for the church that uh, Ed was a part of, the, the, the bigger group. And so um, later that week after graduation, they had had their biannual executive meeting. And they're in there with all these other uppity-up people in their, uh, their church. And when the secretary uh, knocked on the door of the meeting and said, you know, may I please speak to the director, the missions director? And he says, nope, we are in our biannual, biannual meeting. These are very important meetings. We can't be interrupted. And so, okay, okay, never mind. So then she came back like two minutes later. She said, no, sir, I'm sorry. This is an emergency. They really need to talk to you about this. They don't know what to do. And so he said, okay, I'm so sorry. So he gets up and he's gone for about, uh, about 15, 20 minutes. He comes back and is just really depressed. And he sits down, he puts his face in his hands, and he says, you guys aren't going to believe what happened, but our little hospital there in Swaziland, the boiler exploded. And they have no electricity. They've got surgeries all uh, lined up that can't happen. And they've got an American boiler. And he says, where would I ever find a boiler repairman willing to go to Swaziland today? And he said that like, there's no way on earth, no way on earth that could ever happen. But you know what? That university president thought, this is really weird. This is just too weird. So he says, I, I raised my hand and I said, you know, I, maybe I know somebody who would be willing to go today. And the guy says, well, okay, let's hook them up. And so they got Ed on a plane. And um, Ed went to Swaziland, takes a couple of days to get there, even at best. And he did a fantastic job repairing their boiler. And then he noticed that as he was you know, being taken back and forth from the hotel to their, their hospital there, he noticed that the downtown had people who were drunks and drug addicts. And so he would go downtown all by himself and he would minister and build relationships with the drunks and the drug addicts downtown because those were his people, those were who he held out with. And so the time came for him to go home. And so they came to get him to take him to the airport and they couldn't find him. He disappeared. They said, where's Ed? I don't know. We got to find him. And they couldn't find him and he missed his plane. And so the missions director, not knowing anything that happened, called Ed's home to welcome him home, to thank him for fixing it. And his wife says, I don't know where he is. I was at the airport and he never got off the plane. He says, oh, that's really strange. So he calls Swaziland. He says, where's, where's Ed Drinkwater? You know, do you guys know where he is? He says, yeah, he's sitting right here with us. He missed the plane. And he says, geez, you guys, don't let him miss the next flight. This is crazy. Okay, we'll get him another ticket. But don't do that. We got to get him home. Okay. So sure enough, next flight comes, next flight goes, no Ed. And so the mission director calls and says, what is wrong with you guys? He says, well, Ed doesn't want to go home. He says, what do you mean he doesn't want to go home? No, he wants to stay here in Swaziland. He said, this is his home. And he says, you're kidding. Swaziland? He says, yeah, Swaziland. And he's asking if you can send his wife and kids over. 
And the mission director, you got to be kidding. And uh, they talked a little bit more about it. And he talked to the other missionaries. The other missionary said, we don't want them to go home. He says, nobody's down there ministering to the drunks and the drug addicts. And he says, the pastor of the church downtown, he loves it. He doesn't want them to leave either. He says, why, did, why can't we just make them a missionary and keep them here? And they talked about it. And they said, okay, that's, I guess we can do that. <laughs> and um, Ed was got so embedded in his ministry there in Swaziland, he never returned to the United States. He would send his kids, his wife would come over, but he was scared to death to get on an airplane for fear that he wouldn't be able to go back for whatever it was. And he died just a few years ago and they buried him there. And I thought, my gosh, look at that story. And to, and to hear his son telling me that story, he's so proud of his dad and everything. Again, it just reminded me, boy, God, when God guides, he guides so carefully so precisely, so beautifully. And, um, you know, uh, you know, just down the street here, you got 23 and me, right? Well, I, um, when I was a little kid, not knowing, I mean, it was to me before I had any sense of consciousness, I was adopted. And I always knew I was adopted. And my, uh, my uh, biological, no, my, my adoptive parents were fantastic. You couldn't ask for better parents. And so I, I was never really interested in my biological ancestry, although everybody who knew me was. They always wanted to know, where do you come from? That's such a mystery. Why don't you find out? I said, I don't want to find out. And I no need to find out. Honestly, I didn't want to find out because usually the stories are a nightmare story. <laughs> and I just didn't want to deal with it. And so um, all that said, I uh, one morning um, I saw a, a headline, something about 23 and Me. And so I read it, and I'm like, okay, you know, there it is. And, um, and then I was uh, driving down uh, Matilda, and I saw the, 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 the building. And I'd watched the building being built. And I think it's an absolutely beautiful building. It's just, it's just like those stained glass, vine-looking things. It's a beautiful, beautiful building. And I'd always admired it, and, you know, and I saw that. And then I was on my way to a funeral, and I went to the funeral, and at the funeral was this mother and daughter who had come from Alabama to this couple, this family. And they introduced me to the mother and daughter and saying, well, this is the first time we've met this couple, you know, this family from, you know, Alabama. And unbeknownst to us, they did a DNA test with 23andMe and found out they're related. They found out about this funeral and they said, wow, this would be a great time to come and meet the rest of the family. And so, okay, so it was. So I went over and met them and um, it got in my head. And I went home that night and I counted how many times that I'd come across 23andMe. It was three different times. And I thought, how weird is that? I hardly know anything about 23andMe. I could care less about 23, but in one day, three times, I said, oh, that must be a clue from God. And so that night I ordered the little kit and just, uh, just whatever, maybe God's got something in it, really didn't care, didn't expect anything. And uh, Kit came back with a first cousin. And I thought, wow, a first cousin, that's like really close. And so I, um, I looked him up and found, yeah, there he is. And um, I went through, my dad had passed away about uh, two years before and I'd seen a document about my adoption and I scanned it just very briefly and I didn't see any name or anything like that. And I just kind of discarded it. I didn't throw it away. But I didn't pay attention to it. Anyways, it got in my head. And so I went back, found the document, and I found that it referred to a baby named uh, Baby Boy Thomas. 
And I thought, what, is that a first name? Is that a last name? So I got on Ancestry.com and looked up this cousin's family, and I saw that he had an aunt named Louise Thomas. I go, oh my gosh, bingo, there's the birth mother. And so I got on Facebook and I looked her up and I found out that she had, you know, this nice family. She had four kids and they were all older than me. And I, that's kind of strange, you know, this lady would have four kids and then me and then put me up for adoption, but whatever. Anyways, uh, the curiosity just kept going. And so I didn't want to call the guys. I didn't want to call, cause a scandal, you know, kind of, I wanted to keep it all hush hush. And so what I did was um, I saw that the guy who had his DNA thing on 23andMe, he had a sister. I said, you know, girls are so much better at hiding scandals than guys are. And I said, they know how to handle this kind of stuff. And so I'm going to call her and she'll manage this whole thing and she'll protect, you know, the family. I know that. So I called her and um, at first she's like, oh, geez, you know, I'm being scammed. You know, who's this? But uh, she's, when I told her I was a pastor, she says, oh, she goes, oh, she goes, you know, I've heard of you. And um, so I know who you are and I, I can answer all your questions about your family. I said, well, good. <laughs> That's, I don't have a lot of questions, but great. Tell me, you know, what's, what's happening? She goes, well, my Aunt Louise, your biological mother, she, um, is it time? Should I just stop? Keep going? Okay. Keep going? Because I could stop right here. Okay. No? Keep going. I don't want, you know, okay. So I want to be sensitive. I know everybody's very busy. Um, so, uh, so she goes, you know, uh, Louise, she's never told any of her kids. I said, well, how do you know? She said, well, that's kind of strange too. She says, my mother was Louise's sister, of course, and they were really good friends, but my mother got dementia and she would, you know, just, just continually got worse. And one day I went to visit her and my mother didn't recognize me, of course, as, as, as was happening. And then in a very strange moment, she came too. And she said, you know, your Aunt Louise had a baby she put up for adoption. And uh, she goes, she did? Well, that's juicy, right? And tell me more. Well, he became a pastor. He did, yeah. Well, where is he? And the mother went back into her state of dementia. And she couldn't get it out of her. So that's all this, this, this girl knew was that her aunt had put her a baby up for adoption and was a pastor. And that was the end of that. So when I called, she was the only person that would have said, yeah, I know what's going on. And so she said, I don't know how my Aunt Louise is going to handle this because she's never told anybody. She doesn't think I know. And so I said, okay, um, I'm fine if we don't contact her, but, you know, let me know what you recommend, if this would be helpful to her or not. And so she said, you know, give me some time, let's work on this. So then she said, okay, let's, let's send her a letter, and I'll tell you how to write it, and I'll send it, who to send it to, because she lives with her son, and she doesn't want the son to find out. I'll, I'll, I'll work you, I'll, you know, lead you through this, and, and we'll take care of the situation. Okay, let's do that. So um, I wrote this nice letter introducing myself, what have you, just telling her, hey, if you don't want to know who I am, I am 100% fine with that. I have, I've learned everything. I have more than I wanted to learn. It's okay. It's good to disappear. And um, I waited and waited, and she uh, wrote me back. 
And she said, you know, I am uh, surprised that you called me, sent me a letter. I thought you never wanted to. And uh, she said, well, what happened was that I had four children. And then uh, two years after my, my last child was born, my husband left me for another woman. And, um, and then I had some really bad friends who uh, convinced me to go have a night out on the town. And she said, we went, we were in Portland. And we went down to a Greek restaurant and that's where I met your biological father. And he was a sailor. And I said, well, what was his name? And she goes, well, the Greeks have very long names. And she told me, but he told me, but I don't remember. It's too long. I said, okay. <laughs> and so that's what I found out about my biological father, a Greek sailor. Well, my guess is I have half brothers and sisters in every port around the world is going to be my guess. I have a very big family, I'm sure. And so uh, that's the end of that. But what she said was, I noticed uh, on your face, she looked at my Facebook too. She says, I noticed that you lived in Guilford, Connecticut. I said, I did. I was thinking that. And uh, she said, I thought you would be interested in knowing that your ancestors were the pilgrims that came from England for religious persecution and founded Guilford, Connecticut. I said, wow, that is interesting. <laughs> because in New England, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of little towns everywhere you go. And how did I end up in one town where I would have had this big connection. And my mind went back to that day that I learned that I had been betrayed and I thought I had reached rock bottom, that God had completely forgotten about me. And I remember where I went to grieve over it and to cry about it. Now in New England, we don't have town squares, they have greens. It's like a town square, except it's just a big lawn looking thing in front of you know, all their important buildings and churches, what have you. So I went down there, I kind of be by myself and sat there looking out over this lawn and just felt pitiful for myself. And then I remembered that and I then I said, I wonder where my ancestors are buried. So I went and looked them up on ancestry.com and sure enough, um, I'm number generation number nine and it's just father, son, 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 gets to me and then I'm the, I'm, I have the first female in the whole line, which is the, on my biological mother's side. I said, well, that's a, that's a pretty direct connection, you know, to, to these people. And I said, well, I wonder where they're buried. I'd like to go back to Yoford and go see their tombstones or whatever. Just, I'd be fascinated with that. And so I looked it up and I found out that tombstones don't last. <laughs> they weather away. And tombstones at best last maybe 100, 200 years. After that, nobody cares anymore. You're a parking lot now. And, uh, but they said, but all those early pilgrims, probably for the first 60 or so years, they're all buried under the town green in that yard. That used to be the cemetery. And I thought back, you mean that long green thing where I had parked my car and I had looked over that lawn and I would convince that God had forgotten me? I was looking over the bones of my ancestors, not having a clue that God used me and now he doesn't need me anymore. He's got better people lined up. That lawn, is that where they all are? Sure enough. And I thought back, I hope God has a good sense of humor. I'm sure he does. 
How funny would it be to see somebody that you care so much about, you love so much, and you're guiding so carefully, complaining like crazy about the situation they're in, when at the same time, you know so much about their journey and where you're guiding them that they're going to do nothing but thank you and thank you and thank you for the way you've taken care of them. And when, that, when I made that realization, I realized, boy, there is nothing that happens in my life that God doesn't carefully guide and carefully bring. And honestly, how could I have lived a life that could have avoided that? You know, there's no way that that would match up like that. And the thing, the way it all ended, uh, or brings it up to the most recent, for Mother's Day, I, I'd gone out to visit her for the first time last Mother's Day, and that was a really great experience. Met all the other uh, brothers, half brothers, whatever they might be. They all treat me so, so well. It's like I was always part of their family. They were just insanely kind to me. They're all good Christians. And um, anyway, so this next, this most recent Mother's Day, I called the mother up and I say, hey, um, you know what? I can come up and I'll be there uh, on Mother's Day Sunday with you. Because last time I didn't stay for Sunday, I got back to be in my church. And she's, oh, great. That's wonderful. I'm so happy. You know, that's just absolutely great. Well, then um, of the four kids, the youngest of those is a girl. And she calls me. She says, Greg, I'm so happy that you're coming up for Mother's Day Sunday. She says, Mom just called me crying her eyes out. She says, she can't believe that you're coming up for Sunday. She says, it's the best day of her life. Really? Best day? And what she explained to me was, she never told anybody that I'd been born. But of course, everybody always asked her, how many kids do you have? And every time she would say four, she would feel a pain of guilt in her heart. And she would say, I'm a liar. I'm lying. And here I am in church telling people that God loves them, God forgives them, but I, I am a disappointment because God knows that I cannot tell the truth and I'm just holding this lie. And what she explained was that she would go, uh, whenever they would invite people to come forward to pray, she would always go to the altar and pray. And as she would just cry and cry because she knew that God was unhappy with her and condemned her. And yet she lived such a hypocritical life, lying to everybody and, and never telling anybody the truth. And she said, but now that Greg's coming, I'm going to be in church on Sunday. She says, it's like God has guided him here to show me how much he loves me. And I thought, wow. <laughs> so God's using me to bless this nice lady, you know, who did everything right. I don't blame her or anything. Everything worked out really well, and it was important to her. So I went up there for Mother's Day, and she was so happy. You know, we all sat in the same row, and all her friends came, and she was just beaming. And I was so happy for this lady who, who had held this secret for so long. And I was thinking, here I, I thought God did so much in my life, you know, through this whole experience. And no, it wasn't just me. God was taking care of her too. And God was taking care of more people. And that's how God does it. God takes care of everybody. He takes care of everybody. And it doesn't matter. If you got a hard time to go through, go through it. But know that God is with you, that God is guiding you, that he's leading you. And, and, and how does, how does the, the 23rd end, right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I tell you, after you live a while, 
desiring to be in the center of God's will, which I always did, and I think that's the way you don't avoid it, and you realize that, yeah, God is good, God is faithful, God is miserable, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We come to that word forever, and we always think it talks about tomorrow, right? But forever isn't tomorrow. Forever is forever, like right now is forever, right? And it's an always kind of an idea to it. And I realized that we are forever in the house of the Lord. We are always in the temple. We are always in worship of God. And every day, not only throughout this life, and as interesting as that is, but now all through eternity, we're always going to be with God, and God always takes care of us. And I, I don't know, you know, where you might be facing, or maybe not even right now, but maybe off into the future someday. Something will happen. You're saying, this is insane. This can't be. Why has God forgotten about me? You know, don't do what I did. <laughs> don't, don't do something where you're going to have to go back and apologize to God and feel like an idiot. Just know that God is guiding you in ways that you cannot imagine. And as bad as the valleys are, the hilltops are twice as high and twice as good. And it all really ends well. Why? Because God takes care of everybody. Okay? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this opportunity we've had to talk about you and share just experiences. And Lord, if we all could talk about uh, how you have guided us so carefully and wonderfully and just just amazingly beautiful that no one is a mistake and nothing happens out of your order and it all serves a purpose that glorifies you and, and causes us all to praise you. Lord, it, it would just be amazing. And perhaps that's what heaven's going to be like. So I'm looking forward to that. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with all of us and remind us constantly how much you love us regardless and how you are still planning our lives and that we can trust you because you are the good guide. You are good and you are faithful and you take care of everybody. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.